Dr. Marconi, Dr. Esteban, how are you this fine day? And what's the weather like today? It's chilly. It's 41 degrees, cloudy outside. Little blustery. Little blustery, Dr. Marconi. We have a special announcement tonight. Our German engineer is now working. Our German engineer, Ashley Veltner. It's Ashley Veltner week. Yes. A couple great things have happened to her. She has got herself a gig at Ticketmaster. You want to talk about that? Congratulations. That's what I was alluding to. Oh, that's Um, what you were... Yes. Do some looting there. Yeah, I just got offered a part-time gig at Ticketmaster. It's just a temp gig, but it's going to be pretty cool because it's like my first job in the industry. I just saw a door, and I saw her foot, and I saw her foot in the door. And she'll be playing music? Yeah, yeah. She'll be selling tickets. On the radio? Yes. The most important is to be getting paid. And what else did you do? You did something else um, that was really good that you're proud of. Yeah, I um, had the wonderful chance of uh, interviewing Manuel Oliver. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has started this organization called Change the Ref. Um, if you missed the interview today, it'll be airing the rest of the week at 5 p.m. Um, he lost his son in Parkland, and he uh, does... Um, artistic demonstrations is how I like to put it mm-hmm. um, to try to get everyone to kind of change their mind and see that things kind of need to change um, you know but it's pretty cool because the interview we did he posted it on um, they gave it a lot of love they posted it on their Instagram Twitter their Facebook I was um, their website I was real surprised because they don't typically do that with press interviews. It's so called Change the Ref? Change the Ref. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really surprised me and he um, mentioned that it was his favorite interview that he's done since. Good. And he's been doing the interviews non-stop for two years and it was like, wow, he likes it. And I'm a college right. kid. He's been on TV. Right. How old did he have a son or a daughter who was a uh, son. He was 17. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um... If there's one thing you have to know about Joaquin Oliver is that he's not a victim, he's an activist. Good. Great. Yeah. And that's a great lesson for, for you, you yeah. know, and for, for the young people. So that's, that's really cool. That's very good. So yeah. that was good. So so why did you do that interview? You do that for Brave New Radio or you did um, that for something else? Well, I did it for Brave New Radio, um, but it was more of like a personal like interest because I've been following the organization since they started. And I try to keep up with all the new projects that they're doing. They're doing a one-man show on Friday. And I thought it'd be great to promote it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been hopefully doing pretty well. I mean, we'll see. I'll be there on Friday to you know, see the premiere of it in New York City. Um, but yeah, it was for the radio. Great. Good yeah. for you. Ashley pretty exciting. Very good. We have an exciting week ourselves, don't we, here at News Biz 101. We're going more. to BMG on Friday. Alone? Just you and I. Wow. And, uh, no. But with uh, students, yes, older students. We, we, I should mention, we do have a student with us here who I would love to have had gone. Present, future, past tense, mm-hmm. but um, we didn't have room because she's a lowly sophomore, right? And it was juniors and seniors who got to go. Mm-hmm. So I should name that student, and I will name that student. And we are going where? We're BMG oh. in Nueva York. Ah. La Ciudad de Nueva York. Yes. Uh, Teresa Abu Daoud. 
Yeah, you said it right. There we go. I, did good. I spell it right? I spelled it. Yeah, you I did. spelled it correctly as well. You didn't spell my first name right. But you I missed the. Uh, <laughs> I just saw. I, I spelled it Taria. Yep. It's, it sounds like diarrhea, but she's much nicer than that. So, how did we get this connection to BMG? Kate Hyman. Ah. VP of A&R at BMG. She was here this week, too. She was speaking to her in MBA class. So I said, VP, A&R, BMG, MBA. Yes. All in two sentences. Lots of abbreviations. What a week. Yes, been a great week. So Kate Hyman, the VP of A&R there, and she's our visiting resident expert. Is that what you called it? Music. Music. Business. Business. Music and entertainment industry expert, yes. But not visiting. Visiting. visiting she is visiting. Resident. Unless That's she can correct. move in, if she can afford the rent. Sure. Yeah, she's allowed to move in. And so, sure. yeah, so she's doing that. So real quick, we will got they to... Have... Hmm? Will they have fresh pizza for us at lunch? We will not. It might be stale pizza. It might be frozen pizza. It mm, might be cold I wonder pizza. if it's got pepperonis. I hope I hope it has... Well, pepperoni itself is already plural, so to add an S to it is just... Yes. That's not collegiate. No. Maybe in Syracuse they did that back oh, in the day. It's a naughty word this week. <laughs> I know. I want to give thanks to the folks at Van Dyne, Bruno, Inc. and White Hat Management, or I think artists like Dave Matthews, Three Dress Dance, St. Vincent, and Kiss. There's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to VB. CPA.com when you're ready. And we want to give, I don't have the right information. Ah. So we'll just do it. I'll generalize this. Forefront. We want to give thanks to Christine. Oi. They, a wealth manager and president of a company with which well, she works. No, she's part of a consortium of. Four people. It's called Forefront Management. Four people, Forefront for Financial you. Management. Right. Yes. Financial Management. She's helped many professionals all over the world, and I'm sure this other trio has as well, those three amigos. Manage investments, plan at retirement. If you're looking for some guidance on how to plan for your retirement, if you have questions on anything from investments, portfolio management, or insurance retirement plan, give Christine a call at, repeat after me, Teresa. 732. 732. 455. 455. 1,510. 1,510. She has no email address anymore. Well, she does it at Forefront, but we'll say yeah. that for another but time. But it used to be Christine at BayWealth.com. And you, what would you use to do at that time? You would then what? Well, if you wanted to really get in touch with her, you'd have to leave the last OI off for savings. <laughs> Why would you not? Uh, William Patterson University. Our university is ranked one of the best music business programs in the world by Billboard magazine. This is year 5.5 of the show. We're actually closing out year 5.5. Of the show, because uh, we have two shows left this season. We have uh, Vicky Starr coming up on December 4th uh, of Girly Action Media and Management. And then we have uh, music business attorney Carl Guthrie. And you like to call him Call. Nobody knows why, but that's the Long Island Syracusean in you. So we do have a guest. Call. Call. <laughs> call. We have a man. He's our good friend, Rob Hoffman. Robbie, are you there, baby? How are you guys? All right. Never. I don't think I've ever been better than now, Rob. I, I thought I was headlining. Uh, you're closing out the year. There's two more, two more acts on after me. They are oh, the. That's uh, right. He's what do you call that true. when a show is over and then they're the encores? But people bought yeah, the tickets to see you. Right. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. This is like America's Got Talent, and you're the talent. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you. And we should uh, just I'll tell the audience real quick what you do, and then you will fill in the blanks, and uh, Dr. Esteban Marconi will give you some third degree. Um, you manage Extreme. You used to manage Rat. You used to manage Courtney Love. You've, uh, that is correct. We are going to talk about management. We're going to talk about the modeling agency with which you work. We're going to talk about Voyage and your Neil Sean imitation, not in the look but in the play. And then we're going to see uh, how that goes. Is that okay with you? Let's do it. Let's do it. Three, two, one. Dr. Esteban Marconi, go! Yes, okay. Well, the 24-hour question is, is everything we've heard about managing Courtney Love true? Everything and then some. Ha-ha. Well, actually, um, I don't call it management. I call it containment. Um, she's plutonium, and we're going to protect the world from her. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> No, but in all serious, um, she she is an incredible person, and uh, I learned a lot working with someone. You know, the one the one thing that people don't realize about her is that she's a genius. She's brilliant. Uh, she could tell you uh, 
you know, in 1927, who was running Chanel and what they brought uh, to like stitches and seaming and stuff. She's she's got a, a, an unbelievable memory and and studies history, uh, loves art and loves fashion and obviously music. Um, and she's incredible. Yes, I just uh, actually read uh, Howard Stern's book. Mm-hmm. Howard Stern comes again, and I read that interview. I didn't read all the interviews, but I read that interview with Courtney Love, and he actually reinforces exactly what you're saying. <laughs> and the encounter mm-hmm. too in the interview does the same thing that he he believes she's quite uh, brilliant, and that she um, usually has some sort of uh, a motive to why she does things the way she does them when she's right. not, of course, totally influenced or consumed by right. by chemicals uh but look she yeah again i'm sorry no go ahead she is everything that she's a concoction that makes the perfect rock star mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. her history growing up running away going to la i mean right. everything about her is what makes her a rock star i don't know if there'll ever be another courtney love or a steven tyler or any of these um, incredible artists that came from you know the 70s and 80s because kids today that are that talented and artistic and have emotional issues when they're younger, I think they're suppressed with with you know medication. They medicate mm. kids today. Mm. So um, maybe some of these artists that we grew up with, the Led Zeppelins and all these classic rock bands, you know these these guys had issues. Yeah, and they 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 weren't dumbing them down with Ritalin. They had they had to channel that into art mm-hmm. and made for some of the greatest music and some of the greatest legends. Yeah, and we have some of the, um, especially the English, greatest uh, musicians are from art schools. Correct. And uh, I think they allow that freedom in an art school that they don't allow in a music department where you're so engraved with 18th century counterpoint, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so that, that, that freedom really doesn't exist. As it does in, in the most music schools, right? So you came out. Well, of, I went to Berkeley College of Music. And what uh, did you major in? Uh, I majored my my principal instrument is guitar, mm-hmm. and I majored in professional music. Now I got there in 1985, right? And that was I was a rock guy, and that's when you know the Ingves and the Van Halens and all the shredders yeah. were coming out, and you know I, I remember showing up. Um, like first week of school, and I take a purple DC Rich bitch out of a guitar case, and mm-hmm. the instructor's a jazz guy, and he's like, he looks at me and like, are you kidding me? Right, it's a solid come body. You have a real guitar. Right. Yeah, come back when you have a real guitar. <laughs> um, so we were sort of frowned upon, but th- that's what the business at that time. I mean, that's when all these guitar plays were coming out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I think it's more acceptable now. Right. So uh, just getting back to Courtney one more time. Did she um, did she have a vision for the business side? I mean, she had obviously a vision for her music and whole and et cetera. But did she have a vision for how to be managed or how to be booked or or that kind of a thing? Yeah, the one the one thing about her that I was impressed with is you know obviously money. It, you know everybody wants to make money, but she understood that she's an amazing self marketer mm-hmm. and. You know, if I said, I think this is right for you and this is why I think we should do it, she would agree. It it was very, she was never combative. It was never, I I never had a problem getting her to make money, Mm -hmm. which could be an issue with some artists. Um, You know, we did a book deal. I don't know if the book ever got finished because it's, um, it was during my tenure and now after my tenure. Um, There are certain, you know, things that just maybe never get completed. But Mm -hmm. in terms of a business vision, yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great. Can, can you tell us um, how you got involved with her in the first place? Oh, my God. It's an amazing story. We were having our 10-year anniversary. Now, the, the, the main part of our company is we manage like 200 models. And we were doing our 10-year anniversary. This was going back, I think it was like 2013 or something. And um, it was Fashion Week, which is a, you know always like the big week. And it was the first party of the week. And we had like 1,500 people that already RSVP to this party. And my partner and I, who I grew up with playing in heavy metal bands, is a drummer who owned, at the time, one management. We decided to hire Vince Neil 
to come mm. in and we were going to do Motley Crue, like six songs and come out and just, you know, Vince was going to sing and we were going to be the band. Mm -hmm. And the day before, and it was, I think it was Memorial Day weekend, if I remember. So it was Monday, the day before, um, Vince cancels and said that he had, he lost his voice. He can't do the show. So I'm scrambling on a Monday to figure out who I'm going to get for the next night. And I had just recently met her. We went to dinner and I reached out uh, through someone that knew her and we're like, it's going to be great. It's going to be a lot of fashion people and she loves fashion. And she's like, yeah, I'll do it. Do me a favor. You need to fly in my guitar player, my drummer, my bass player. They were like all over the world. Mm. Um, and I literally just started purchasing tickets and everybody showed up the next day. And she played the show. It was great. And uh, she's like, you know what? I think I want you to manage me. And it was, it was, it was, it was just like that. Right. So how'd you get involved with modeling or models? I never did. So I, as I mentioned, I, I grew up with one of my dearest friends. His name is Scott Lips. Uh, we were playing in bands since we were 11 years old together. We grew up in the same area. And uh, I went to Berkeley. He went to uh, MIT, Musicians Institute. Uh, we both got into bands. I got a record deal, got dropped. He did the same thing on the West mm -hmm. Coast. And um, when it became time to grow up, he um, got into the modeling business and he built up the company. And, you know, his vision was always, you know, not only modeling. When you look at IMG and some of these other companies, they have, you know, sports divisions and they have music divisions. And he kept coming to me saying, listen, everybody knows, you know, I'm a musician. I get a lot of requests from brands that are looking for artists. Uh, it could be a Nike campaign, and they're looking for some cool artist to be in the campaign. You know, John Varvatos always uses, like, rock stars in his campaign. Um, why don't you bring your management here, you do that, and start running this music division, and we can do a lot of music fashion branding. Um, and that's basically how it started. So we, we have multiple divisions here. There's modeling, there's male models, female models. And then we have a celebrity division uh, where we do a lot of fashion branding for artists such as Cardi B and ASAP and Gucci Mane. Mm. Um, and then we have the music management side. Boy, little did he know that uh, we talk about it here in school, that fashion has become definitely another revenue stream for most musicians, you know, in terms of a choice to brand and so on. Uh, and he was just only, ahead of yeah. the curve. Yeah, not only has it become a, a revenue uh, for them, but it's also uh, for profile. Yeah. I mean, every yeah. magazine, you know, editorial, editorial, they're having artists now. Um, actually, the, the age of the supermodel, I don't even think that even exists anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, there's more ce a celebrity becomes a supermodel mm -hmm. now. Yeah, very true. It's, uh, the, the, I guess you can, it's celebrity whether you're an athlete or a chef or a musician yeah. or a model, you're a celebrity. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point. So what is the name of the modeling agency then? One Management. Oh, so the whole company is One Management. Correct. Okay, and it includes modeling, it includes branding, it includes music management. Right, and that's O-N-E. Right, management. there's different divisions. There's One Talent, there's One Celebrity. <laughs> mm-hmm. So... Tell us about your other sort of love. You're in a tribute, Journey tribute band? Yeah, so <laughs> I grew up with a bunch of guys um, that all, you know, got record deals and then cut their hair and <laughs> got jobs. Some of them still tour. And one of my dear friends, Hugo Valente, was in a band uh, called, the first record was called, they were called Valentine or on Warner. And then the second record was on Azoff's label, Giant. They changed their name mm -hmm. to Open Skies. And he is um, miraculously a Steve Perry clone, both in, uh, you know, his mannerisms, the way he looks, and his voice. And um, when Perry left Journey the first time, um, Kaladner called him. He was the first one they called, but he didn't get the gig. And, um, you know, he went into his own business and... Um, one day he said, you know what, I think I want to do a Journey tribute band. And he started about 15 years ago. Um, I used to fill in every once in a while for the other guitar player. He was also a friend of mine. These are all guys that we all grew up together. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then about 14 years ago, I became full-time with him. We do it when we could do it, a couple of shows a month. 
and um, we've built this thing into, um, you know, we're doing 1,500 to 3,000 seaters mm. and doing real numbers. And there's a whole scene of these bands that oh, yeah. tour, um, you know, get the let out, Dark Star Orchestra, uh, there's the Australian Pink Floyd, the mm -hmm. British Pink Floyd. You know, some of these bands are doing real business. They're going out with buses and semis and... Um, yeah, we have a hall here that's about a thousand, and we they book at least two or three different tribute bands a year uh, here, and they do very well. Mm -hmm. Zeppelin. Yeah, I think bands, I may have even so. played it. Yeah, possibly. But uh, you, are you guys near Montclair? How yeah. far are you from Montclair? About five, yeah, about so we're doing miles. the Wellmont on December seventh. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sure. Sure. Um, my guests. Right. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> Um, I was going to ask you, this is a totally in-depth question for Journey and Steve Perry fans because I was uh, listening to a playlist when I was driving in the car the other day and a Steve Perry song from his solo album came out because I was looking on your uh, website at some of the songs that you guys do and you mentioned Oh Sherry and what was the other single from that record? Foolish Heart. Foolish Heart. You mm -hmm. do both of those. You do anything else off of that record? Off of Street uh, Talk, 1984, Columbia Records. Yeah, Street Talk was great. And the one after that, from the Love of Strange Medicine, had a couple of great songs. Um, I, You know what it is? It's, it's, you know, they've got so many hits right. that yeah. you could play for two hours. And then when you start throwing in the cuts that you love, the little, the deeper cuts, uh, you know, people go and they, you know, they go get a beer and they go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Um Mm -hmm. So unless it was like a special request for someone, or we do a lot of private events, if it was a private event, and someone requested to do one, we would we would do it. But we, you know, it's funny because we've we've gotten a lot of people asking if we're going to do something off his new record that he came out with, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which would but be no. it'd be easier for Hugo to sing because his voice has changed. Steve yeah. Perry's it may be harder because Hugo can still has his range. Interesting. Uh, a question about Hugo because he was in a band Open Skies you mentioned. Um, did Bob yeah. Lefsetz write about them a year or two ago? He did. Yeah, I remember because I remember did. listening to that. He said, this is one of those bands that nobody ever appreciated. And I went to Spotify and I listened and they were good. Yeah. Richie, Richie Zito produced that record. Okay. And um, it was very AOR and Journey influenced, obviously. Right. And it was a great record. And they're great musicians. And here's the funny thing. Those guys play in a band with Steve Ogieri. Mm -hmm. who was the singer after Steve Perry, mm. who's no longer on Journey. Right. right. It's very incestuous here. Right. <laughs> That's true. And who did we have on the radio last year? We had Jonathan Cain on our radio yes. show last spring because uh, he had a book that came out. And there was a really good interview. I should send you the link because he, he was, yeah, was, he was a good guy on the, yeah, it was great. on the radio. Do you know who Jonathan Cain you know, people... is? I'm sorry. Yeah. I was just his contribution to that band when you know some of those compositions and those songs is just he's an incredible writer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean it was because of him that really Escape took off, and you had uh, besides Don't Stop Believing and Open Arms. I mean that mm -hmm. was a huge Jonathan Cain influence there. Yeah, um, Jonathan Cain's wife. Do you know who she is now? No. Yeah, she's um, Trump's spiritual advisor yes. or, or pastor. Trump yeah. announced a, a, the White House spiritual advisor oh, like God. two weeks ago, and is Jonathan Cain's wife. Oh, my goodness. And I saw some yeah. video of some of the things she said, and it's, uh, yes. well, if you enjoy Donald Trump, then it's it's wonderful. Right. So tell you us know, the one thing they The one thing they advise in music, leave out the politics and leave out the religion. Yes, yeah. I know. So tell us what you're doing with Extreme. Um, I've been Extreme's longtime manager. Um, I go back since 1985 with these guys. I started in the clubs with them in Boston when I was at Berkeley. Actually, Pat Badger, the bass player, was my roommate, and I was in a band with him, and then they stole him from me. Mm -hmm. So I ended up managing them and trying to ruin their careers as a <laughs> revenge. I'm a revenge manager. But, um, no, listen, you know, the band... Um, it's incredible, you know, three decades into their career. We just got back from India two weeks ago. Um, we went to um, a, the state of Manipur. Um, it was, we, we flew 14 hours to New Delhi, uh, four hours to Manipur, the city of Imphal, and then drew three, drove three and a half hours wow. through the mountains on a one-lane highway on a winding road. 
um, with a military convoy, and we show up, and 40,000 people came to the show. Wow. They knew every word. They were singing all the songs. We, it was like a twilight zone. We couldn't even believe it. We were like, how do they even know who we are? We've never been there. Um, we were the only artists on the bill, and it was just incredible. So, um, you know, every career has an arc, and um, they're, you know, they're not a, a stadium band in the United States. We do a lot of business, a bigger business in the U.K. and Japan, but their business is consistent, and um, we're playing in front of audiences we've never played for. We've been to China. We just got back from Indonesia a couple of days ago. Um, we, we've been to places we've never played before, so it's amazing that, you know, with the Internet, how stuff just becomes ubiquitous, everyone hears about you. Uh, Nuno's on his way to Korea today, uh, right now as we speak. He's got another project called Generation X uh, with him, Steve Vai, Ingve Malmsteen, Zach Wild, and Tosin Abasi. It's a, uh, it's a night of shred. <laughs> night of the living shred. Yeah, that's pretty. And cool. uh, Gary, as you know, uh, was uh, in Van Halen for a short period of time. And last year, he went out with Joe Perry, uh, singing with Joe Perry and Joe Joe's solo band with Brad Whitford on guitar. Um, did some tour dates in the U.S. Went to Japan. So here's a question: Then you manage the band Extreme, yet they still have active solo careers. So do you have separate agreements? with each member so that when they do solo work, you're also working that as well? Um, well, I didn't, I didn't manage Joe Perry. Uh, actually, Paul Geary, the old drummer of Extreme, uh, manages Joe Perry. Um, no, but, but I meant Gary, because you said Gary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's all Boston boys, so it's really a small world. Uh, but, yeah, if they wanted me to manage something solo, yes, I do. Okay. So, all right. So um, when Gary plays with Joe Perry... Gary and Perry, the way I pronounce mm. it. Um, <laughs> but when they... Jerry, uh, Jerry for short. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So when, when they Gary, play together, um, is that a one-off thing? or did they, Was that a whole tour, or was that one show? They, they did uh, blocks of shows. Actually, the first incarnation of the band had the DeLeo brothers. Um, they did that on the West Coast. Then they went to the East Coast, and Brad Whitford joined, and some other guys... Um, there was a, um, Brad went to Japan with them. It wasn't, you know, it was weekend warrior stuff. So are they all kind of, uh, for, for a group like that, do they have their own LLC or they're not a group? It's really Joe Perry's thing. And Gary is sort of like a hired hand for yeah, whatever. They're all hired. hired <clears throat> they're all hired guns on that. Okay. Well, Joe put out a solo record mm -hmm. and that's what he started to tour um, and then Aerosmith got back together. And, and the funny thing is, is Nuno plays with Steven Tyler. Hmm. And they're all from Boston. So Nuno, uh, Tyler took Nuno to um, perform at the, um, it was the, uh, with Malala. It was the Nobel Peace Prize hmm. uh, two years ago. They did Dream On and More Than Words. Can you imagine? Um, and he's performed More Than Words multiple times. Tyler loved the song. So he brings Nuno out frequently. They went to South Africa. They did a run. With the Kings of Chaos, um, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, so let's so, let's step yeah. back. It's it's 1985. Um, yeah. And you start working with this group that that becomes Extreme, and so you started. Were you like a tour manager? Were you just no, kind of not 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 exactly. So I got up to Boston. I was 17 years old. I graduated high school a year early. I go to Berkeley. My first week up there. Someone tells me, yeah, this is Band Extreme, local band. They just got a new guitar player. Uh, let's go check them out. It's his first night. Because they were already established as a, as a local band before Nuno joined. They won basement tapes on MTV. Mm. And they had two guitar players, and they decided to make a change. And I actually went to Nuno's first show. And I remember calling my brother, my older brother, who was um, just getting into the music business, and I said, I just saw the future. you got to get to Boston and see this band. And, of course, the little brother, no, no, you know, mm. he ignored it. And um, I ended up being in a lo starting a local band in Boston. Extreme at the time was the biggest local band in Boston. They were selling out, you know, 1,000, 1,200 seaters. And um, their bass player quit, and they were, you know, holding auditions. I ended up taking a guy that was in my band who was my roommate. And... Um, 
they got a, a record deal maybe a year and a half later, and um, they had a small manager manager who actually owned the recording studio in Massachusetts where we all used to record. And they were looking for new management, and I was trying to get my brother involved. And my brother was working with Lieber and Krebs. And um, a couple of the guys were leaving to go to a new company called SDK Entertainment, mm-hmm. uh, which was a label and a management company, yeah. Charles Koppelman and Marty Bandier. Right. And um, my brother didn't have a secure position. He wasn't going to go, but he wanted to go. And I said, this is going to be your ticket. you got to come up. I, I actually, I don't know if you guys know, there was a club in the in Boston called The Channel. Mm-hmm. Um, I called my brother from a payphone at Extreme Soundcheck. I swear, <laughs> I called him Collect and held up the phone and said, okay, guys, play. That was that was like the showcase over the phone. My brother says, I can't hear anything. So I said, come to Boston. He came up, he heard the band, uh, set up a lunch meeting, and the rest was history. My brother became the first manager and brought them to SDK. Mm. But did, did they sign with them? Because I know they were signed to, to A&M. A&M was the label, and SBK was the management. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, okay. So mm-hmm. SBK became... And um, there, just in um, Wikipedia, there's the name Ray Daniels. Uh, was yes. he a manager at some point? I know he's a Canadian guy. Yeah, so um, my brother went to go work for Ray Daniels, um, who Ray manages Rush, and Van Halen at the time, when my brother went there, he was managing Van Halen. Uh, my brother was from New York. He moved to Toronto to go work for Ray and bring in new artists, new bands. Um, Extreme was putting out that, uh, waiting for the punchline. They came, um, and my brother was, when you know the band kind of went on hiatus, my brother was the one responsible for getting Gary the Van Halen edition, which led for him you know, fronting the band. Gotcha, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then um, what's interesting is Paul Geary, who was the original drummer for Extreme, is now a manager as well with Irving Azoff. Correct. Yeah. Uh, he's not with Azoff any longer. He has his own company. He's been away from Azoff for a few years. Mm. But he, Paul's doing really well. I mean, he's been with Godsmack for many years. Uh, he's got Joe Perry. He's got, a, he's got a really good roster, and he's a great manager. Wow. What made him decide to leave you know, playing behind the kit and instead just getting completely behind the stage? Um, he wasn't on, he, he played on a few songs on Extreme's last, on, not on that last record, but before the hiatus on Waiting for the Punchline. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of went in a different direction. And Paul, you know, Paul is a great business mind. And he's very diplomatic and he's a great leader. And uh, management was his thing. Uh, I think the story goes, you'd have to ask him, but Sully uh, from Godsmack um, knew Paul and was selling CDs out of the back of his car. And they were selling, like, a huge amount of, of, of product in Boston. Paul saw the opportunity and jumped on it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, we have a, a student with us, student co-host, and her name is Teresa. She's going to say hello. Say hello, Teresa. Hello. Teresa. Hey, Teresa. <laughs> Hi. And she's going to ask a question for you that was tweeted in by one of our listeners. So Christina Batiz wants to know, being a manager for artists such as Extreme, is it better to bank on hits like More Than Words or encourage them to try to come up with something fresh? And how do you deal with the generational evolution of your artists? Well, that's an incredible question. Now, you got to remember when More Than Words came out, first of all, the song is an anomaly. But it also came out in the MTV era. So if the question was, for, you know, what would you do back then or now? Um, now it's, it's, it's much more challenging. You've got the history of music in the palm of your hand on your iPhone um, I read a stat the other day that there's 40,000 um, songs uploaded a day onto Spotify. So, you know, how do you cut through? Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I guess my answer to the question was, and if I remember the question at this point, um, you know, More Than Words was um, was an anomaly. It was an acoustic song with two guys, and it, it didn't feature the whole band, and they were a hard rock band. And it miscategorized who they were. But they had that opportunity where the whole entire world was able to hear this song. By the, you know, they, they were able to establish a base off of the song. It wasn't the right song because it wasn't, they didn't have a, you know, a pour some sugar on me or you give love a bad name. It was an acoustic ballad. Um, but once you have that, you know, the door opens to bigger opportunity with producers and with songwriters and, you know, with label budgets um, to ensure that you have another hit. 
Um, the follow-up, coincidentally, to More Than Words was Wholehearted, which was also an acoustic song, uh, which went top five. So their two biggest hits were acoustic, which wasn't indicative of what they were about. Uh, but I'm not sure if that answered your question. What was the th- what was the question? Um, it's it's better to bank on those kinds of hits or encourage them to try something fresh, and then just dealing with the generally generational evolution of artists. Yeah, well, what, you know, I would say this to any artist: don't do it for the money. Don't write the song for the money. If you're, mm. you know, if you wanna, if you're a pop artist, it's different. But if you want to establish yourself as a rock artist with a with tremendous integrity, Nuno has tremendous integrity. Um, he never does anything for the money. He does it for the music and the art and the soul of it. And um, when that connects, it, it, you'll have your fan base forever. Um, I mean, everybody does need a hit, but there are plenty of bands that are, you know, look at um, Little Nas. The guy's got the biggest song of the decade, mm. but he'll do a fraction of the business of Tool. He just doesn't have that core base. Um, you know, you mentioned Ray Daniels. Look at Rush. I mean, they yeah, they had that period without hits, but you know, the core fans that they've got from the from the music that they wrote. Um, it was never really Extreme's never really been a hit driven band. It's more about you know what they stand for and who they are. Mm-hmm. So a song like More Than Words. Let's talk about that. You're you, you're a band. You have your this iconic song, which is tremendous, obviously for the band. And it, let's see, that was 91? Mm-hmm. 91? Um, so 28 years ago. And um, obviously you can make a lot from that. When you and I spoke on the phone a few weeks ago, you mentioned about how many sync deals you get for that song mm-hmm. and licensing deals. Can you talk a little bit about, you have a song like that, do you have a marketing plan as the years go on around that song so it doesn't maybe get overused? No, I don't have a marketing plan. Um they're with Universal. We constantly get sync offers. Um, you know, the band ultimately makes the decision on what they want to, if they want to do it or not. Um, I notice with all of these new services, you know, coming up now, you have Disney Plus, but you know, with Netflix and so many new shows coming out, there's more content. They're looking for more songs. I think I did like four or five syncs in the last two months alone for through Netflix and HBO and you know, just for all these series. Um, but I think that, you know, ultimately when Nuno and Gary look at the sync, um, it has to make sense. We would never do anything that made fun of the song or was in a scene that, you know, mocked them or mocked the song. Some of the stuff, um, like like I know Nuno's a big fan of Handmaid's Tale and they reached out um, for a sync. It was in this the latest season, of course. You know, he loved the show. It was a cool scene. Uh, something that they would they would want to do. Um, anytime we get a sync, you know, if it's throwing it out, like, you know, Pizza Hut giving us, you know, and it's a parody on the lyric, you know, they, they won't approve that. Mm. Now, when, um, if, if you go to uh, More Than Words and Videos, Jimmy Fallon did a almost shot-for-shot remake of the uh, video year or two ago, I guess Jack Black played uh, Gary and Jimmy played Nuno Betancourt. Um, did you ever see that? And that's not a master thing. So is that pa- parody? So you have no right to say no if you were unhappy with that, for example? Well, actually, they did it word for word. Okay. So it's not a, it wouldn't be a parody. It oh, it's, parody. Just a, it's just uh, a cover. Video, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's a cover. The video was a parody. Right. Um, and it was brilliant. Um, they kind of kept it really secret, um, but I, you know, of, of course they came to us for the sync. But um, the uh, they had to get the guitar, the exact guitar, and they went to Washburn, you know, who made who made the guitar. Um, and I couldn't believe they got Nuno's shirt, which was incredible. <laughs> um, I think Weird Al Yankovic had the shirt too when he did when he did a copy of the song back in the day. Um, <laughs> But, you know, again, like something like that introduced the song to a, a completely new audience. And they and they just actually played it to the anniversary recently. It went viral again. Mm, that's great. Um, 
there was a big article that came out in the New York Times over the summer, New York Times Magazine, about a fire that took place on the Universal Studios lot about 11 years ago. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, I think there was mention in there, I mean, uh, lots of bands, Soundgarden, Nirvana, uh, allegedly did or did not lose masters in mm-hmm. this fire. Uh, were you guys a part of that? Did that happen with um, any of the extreme stuff? And if so, are you allowed wow, to talk you guys about do your, you guys do your homework. Uh, <laughs> yes, um, apparently we did lose masters. Um, we've requested, we're trying to find out what is, what is gone. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's such a complicated, first of all, it's, it's, it's horrendous to think that, you know, forget about extreme. I mean, there's marquee, you know, masters that were in there, yeah. songs that were never released that people will never hear again. Um, you know, there's a lot of questions legally that come up. Was there duplicate masters at other studios or, you know, in the UK at the main offices, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give you an example with extreme, which we'll never know. Um, when they recorded three sides to every story, um, the drums were recorded analog and the rest of the, and the bass and the rest of the record was recorded digital. So what they did was they made a slave master. So they didn't wear out the analog tape as they were, you know, recording all the time. And they would sync that with the digital, um, do they have what, what did they, what did we lose you know mm. they lost you know the actual original drum track and bass we only have the slave master i don't know we don't know what was there and what wasn't there um mm. but it, it's just horrific to think what was yeah. lost so so i guess you, are you do you have an attorney who's reaching out to i guess them and trying to find out if your masters exist or not and I guess they own yeah. the masters anyway, so uh, they could be very as, as they're secretive about the whole thing from everything I've read anyway. So yeah. um, they could say, "Well, it doesn't really matter. We own the masters; it's our stuff, even though it's your intellectual property." They own the masters, but um, I'd have to refresh myself on it. But there is some there is some law where you have a fiduciary responsibility okay. to protect those masters that are used in, in shared commerce. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd have to go refresh my memory, but I forgot what the suit is. Okay. I worked for Universal back at, at the time, and they had, there's a facility called Iron Mountain that I think is in Pennsylvania, mm. I think. And they had so much stuff in Iron Mountain. Then when this article came out, I was shocked at they had all this stuff. It was just basically just in a like a Raiders, Raiders at the Lost Ark warehouse, and mm-hmm. all they had to do to protect it was just... The uh, sprinklers, you know, on uh, the, in the ceiling, and just this fire got so hot, just everything burned. There's Billy Holiday stuff. There's classical. Mm-hmm. There's, if you think of um, the history of mu- recorded music, mm-hmm. Universal owns so much of it, and they lost so much, and they still sure. want to talk about it allegedly. Yeah, you know, it's funny. We we um, put out um, for the 25th anniversary of Pornography. We reissued it with some stuff, you know, different mixes, and they wanted to remaster it. And they sent me um, the mastering, and I heard it, and it was so brittle, and mm. it—I was—it was almost unlistenable. Mm. And I said, "What is this?" And I sent it to the guy that engineered and mastered all these extreme records, Bob St. John. And he said, "Something's not right." When we got down to the bottom of it, they told us they couldn't find the masters, and that they took it off of <laughs> a cassette and mastered it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, God. get out of here. What do you God, mean? I mean? They could have right. at least taken well, it off of a mean? CD. Jesus. Right. Well, what do you mean? Or maybe it was like quarter-inch tape. I go, what do you mean? Yeah. You can't find the masters. They're like, oh, we just can't. The masters were burnt. Yeah. When uh, now we find out what happened. Hmm. God. Okay. Uh, here's another question from Teresa and the tweeters. Uh, Leo Soria wants to know, there's a point when managing an artist where you get too close with her, him, and this could endanger both parties. So what do you suggest a manager should do to keep their emotional distance from the artist? That is another good question. You know, the, the, the brilliant thing about this business is you can invent yourself. There's, there's all different kinds of managers. Um, I am very, very close with my artists um, only because I've known them so long and they trust me. Um, you know, some artists, some managers will, um, I don't want to call them enablers, but, you know, if the artist 
is delivering a record and they don't hear any hits, they'll tell them it's the greatest thing they've ever heard. Myself, I, you know, I'll tell them the truth. I don't hear it. Maybe this part moves me, and it just doesn't. Let's go back, record more music. Um, they have to trust you. And in order to get to that point, I mean, if everything ended today and they were back on a park bench, are you going to be with them? Do you believe in them enough? And if you do and they believe that you do, I think you can tell them the truth. Um, you know, my artists call me at 3 in the morning, 4 in the morning. Um, you know, we're at the each other's weddings, the births of babies. You know, we're just it's a family at this point. Um, but there are situations where I would 100% recommend, like, you know, you have to maintain a level of professionalism. And, you know, some artists don't hang out with them after the show, don't go to an after party. Um, give that artist that space. Um, it, it, it really would depend on who the artist is and what your relationship is with them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, let's take one step back and go back to India because you mentioned you, you were there with Extreme a few weeks ago. How did that gig even take place, considering you said you'd never been there before, you had no idea how big the band was? Uh, Indian ex- promoter. Pardon me? An Indian promoter? Yeah, yeah. Explain, explain who all was involved in getting you guys to go there. You know, that one, it was as, as simple as some guy used to email me all the time about coming to India, bringing Extreme to India, and I would like look at the location and who played it and there wasn't many bands from the u.s and it was really small production i would just ignore the email um finally this year the guy emails me and he said yeah queens right did it last year so i called their manager and they're like yeah it was it was actually a great gig a lot of people came and it's in the middle of nowhere but you know everything the guy promised was true and i said okay and i forwarded it to uh, rod mcsween who's extremes international agent and um rod got an offer and it was a great offer and um, we we did it. We went. Mm-hmm. And then when you put something like that together, are you weighing, okay, uh, to get everybody to go there, it's going to cost this much money. We have. Uh, did you guys have to cover, did they have the stage and the sound and the lights and all you guys had to do pretty much was just show up with your gear? Right. So for this particular show, I made them cover all flights, band and crew. Okay. In addition, um, that was part of the offer that they gave. Right. Okay. Uh, we built it into the offer. I made them cover the visas. I made them cover the back line. I made them cover um, the hotels, the ground transportation, the security. I mean, everything was covered. Um, that was the only way I was going to do a deal like this. Um, it, it was riddled with production issues only because of the remoteness of the location. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the stage the stage was built out of bamboo. <laughs> so when they started sending us the pictures a week in advance of when they were building the stage, we, we were horrified. We were afraid. Like, is this going to be able to hold? I mean, what they did was incredible, too. Mm-hmm. Um, if you guys go on YouTube and you look it up, um, it was called Shirock, S-H-I-R-O-C-K, the name of the festival. Um, so there were all sorts of production concerns, and then when we got there... Um, Extreme as a certain uh, type of a console that they use for front of house and monitors where they have a show file. So it's, it saves a lot of time when you, when you can just put the, you know, the memory stick and load up your show file. Uh, both consoles got stopped at, hmm. uh, at the x-ray machine when it was going through freight. It was six inches too big to get it through the freight, through the x-ray machine. So those didn't make it. Um, half the back line got stopped at a military checkpoint and didn't show up until 4 p.m. on the day of the show. I mean, the, the amount of stress that we went through. Um, mm. The night before, there was a battle of the bands from local bands, and I think some of the generators went down, so then we, there were, was there going to be power issues? But at the end of the day, the show played. They had LED screens. They had a big stage, big production, and um, it, it was incredible that they pulled it off the way they did. Wow. Uh, uh, here's another tweet for you. Quinn Stevenson would like to know, when do you know it's time to drop an artist? Hmm. When they don't listen anymore. <laughs> uh, I had an artist recently, um, not to drop any names, which I won't. Uh, it was a female artist who I started developing when she was uh, 16. Uh, m- the most potential of any other artist, any other artist I've ever worked with. I was really excited about her. And um, 
she got a very big record deal and um when it came time to recording the songs that were going to go on the record um every you know she had different ideas than than management and the label and then when it came time to selecting the song that was going to go on the record so let's say they recorded 17 and we're going to use 12 on the record the one song that myself and the label felt had the biggest hit potential uh she didn't want to put on the record and um it got to the point where I basically gave her an ultimatum and I said, the song goes on the record or you find another manager. And she said, I'll find another manager. And mm-hmm. I walked away and, um, the record, you know, didn't do that great. She got dropped. The song was re-recorded by one of the co-writers and became, uh, I think it went number one in the UK. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so that's a good point. Uh, because but that was a time, it got to the point where um, where I think the respect and the mutual respect between us was gone, and that was the time to move on. Mm-hmm. Good yeah. point. Okay, um, gut versus data, what do you prefer to use when you're making decisions? Uh, for what, though? For touring, for merchandise, for records, I mean, what do you... Each. For everything? Yeah, yeah you, you can break it down. By, by category? Oh, that's a great question. Um, of course, when it's going to come to ad spends and marketing, you know, data. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would also say, um, I used this with Extreme recently with Gary. Um, you go on Spotify, their entire catalog is up there. I can tell you every song. I can see which one gets the most streams from, you know, 40 songs, which one, 50 songs. Um, when you're making a record, if you're a band, um, you know you know exactly what your fan base wants from data. You can see that these this style of songs aren't streaming as much as maybe this style. Um, but gut, you know, everything is gut. You, you know, I, like that song that I just told you that story. You know, my gut was that that was going to be the breakthrough song for her. Um, so, I guess you got to find the balance between the both. When it comes to, you know, everything from, from ticketing and, you know, VIP meet and greets and merchandise, I have all past data, so it's all data. But when it comes to anything that's artistic, the design of merch, what's going to sell the most, obviously, um, gut. And, and, and here's another question, because you and I are the exact same age, so um, when you're talking... 30, to- right? Pardon me? 30, yes. Yeah, uh, actually, well, 29 and a half, so you round up. It's 29, yeah. So... Um, when, when you're talking about gut and you're talking about like with that artist you were mentioning and the song and that artist didn't particularly believe in it the way you did, if the artist is closer to the age of the demographic who might be listening to that, do you uh, sort of discount your gut a little bit and say, this is how I feel, but I may not be right because I'm not necessarily the audience for that song? Or in that particular case, it didn't matter. It was just a great song or, you know, I'm ta- kind of where I'm going. The song was a Stone Cold Crusher. It was one of those like it's a one listen. Yeah, that's the one. Mm-hmm. So, so that, it was unquestionable. But I guess if there, there there could be a song that you're like, yeah, maybe I don't get it. And I mean, especially now, I listen to I hear songs all the time, and I'm like, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. But meanwhile, I read that Left Sets this morning that he sent out. Um, that dancing. What's that new song? Yeah, and I heard. It. I was like, wow, this is incredible. This thing's going to be huge. And my wife was like, it is huge already. I'm like I'm old. Yeah, I haven't heard it. Mm-hmm. So, so do do you with um, you you have uh, extreme and you have uh, current artists as well? Is it more catalog? I don't I don't mean to say catalog, but is it um, classic artists? Yeah, established. You know, I, I love I love managing heritage artists um, heritage. for a few reasons. One is like that other artist. I got her when she was 16. It took me couple of years, I had to wait till she graduated high school, you spend all this time developing, investing, and then you don't know if she's going to make it or not. Um, when you have a heritage artist, I know what my year looks like. I know what they bill annually. It's pretty much almost the same every single year. You don't live and die by an album cycle. If the album comes out and it's a stiff, you know, the tour still sells. Um, hopefully it's not a stiff. Um, it's guaranteed income because the, the band tours. Um, and with a heritage artist, you know, you're not, a new artist, you, they may not make money for touring for years. 
So you're going to rely on if you get them a branding deal or on any you know streams or record sales you know from that side of it. So at least with a heritage artist, you know you, you've got the touring revenue and the merchandise and all that that goes with it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. And who, by the way, who is Extremes' um, agent in the U.S. in the agency? Scott Sokol at Pinnacle. Mm. Pinnacle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Independent yeah. agency. Where are they based? Uh, they're based in New York. Hmm. Um, they're a medium-sized agency. They've got a lot of artists. He's got yeah. Alice Cooper. I think he has Rob yeah, Zombie. Yeah, I've heard of him. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay, so um, it's an agency that specializes in that established sort of heritage, as you said, artists. Um, I think they have new artists also. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure their roster has 40, 50 artists. Right. Do, do people come often? Do you get calls from other agents who say, hey, we could do better than those guys? I do. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the funny thing is when you manage heritage artists, some that I've managed, they always think that they may do better if they go to another agent. Mm. But it's not the agent that's making the offer. It's the promoter that's making the offer. And that's that's metrics when you want to talk about data. You know, the promoter can go into Polestar or, he, you know, if, if, if you never played that venue before or... He knows what bands in that genre typically sell in his venue, and the numbers don't lie. You mm-hmm. know, promoter profits 15%. You make you you know you figure out what it's going to cost, and you put your offer together. So, um, I mean, the fee though, the agent plays an important role. You know, you want a guy that's going to roll up the sleeves and go out there and fight and get your gigs, and you know, make sure that you get the best slots. And yeah, mm-hmm. well, I think mm-hmm. this was a good slot having. Yeah, uh, Rob excellent. Hoffman on from the 8 to 9 p.m. slot on Wednesday. Excellent. This yeah. is the best slot that, that you guys have had. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I feel really good about uh, the slot. We're canceling the last you know, and two. I th- and I think the manager plays an important role also. I, I mean, I reach out to Scott all the time. You know, oh, I just heard, you know, the Chili Peppers are playing Boston Calling. Why aren't we? Go mm-hmm. call them again, you know, because, you know, you have more ears on the ground. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I mean, you got to hustle just as much as everybody else. Even though it's a heritage artist, it's not like everything has to come to you. You can do your own outreach and try and expand. Right, and um, you know that in New York, a manager is not allowed to procure an, um, right. an engagement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, New York and L.A., right, or California, right? Yeah, Tennessee. Yeah, and Tennessee as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So, Rob, thank you so much for appearing yes. on Music Biz. That's it. I'm done. You're, you're done. You've passed the test. We've lost. Minutes, we're done. Yes. Guys, let me leave you with this. Uh, what you're doing is amazing. You know, when Dave reached out to me, I went and I heard the Rob Light one. I heard ah. the Doc McGee one. And, and the, the stories and the, you know, the history and the advice is so invaluable. If anyone's listening now and you want to become a manager, you know, you find a local artist that you love. Mm-hmm. It, it's not rocket science. You, you could buy Passman's book and read so you learn the business. But... You know, hearing other managers and hearing other to conduct themselves and the stories and it's what you guys are doing is incredible. That that's a a course within itself. All right. Wow. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Another endorsement. Yes. Keep up the good work. Yeah, and and you too. Thank right. you, you very much. Yeah, great. At the Wellmont. December seventh, Wellmont Theater, Montclair, right. New Jersey. Voyage. See you there, boys. Thanks, man. Bye. Bye. Be well. Bye. Yes. 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 That was good. I thought it was one of the better of the, let's say, the second-tier managements that mm-hmm. we've been sort of concentrating on in the last five weeks or so. Yeah. yeah he's he, really on it, so he, he really was, did he some good really stuff. very, very good. Yeah. What did you think, Theresa? I enjoyed it. I learned a lot. What did you learn? All the things. I can now go <laughs> all and the, I learned all the things. Mm-hmm. Yes. But that's all. We have to stop. So we should thank Ashley Veltner for Ashley Veltner Week. Thank you very much, Ashley, very much. Congratulations on your job and your great interview and all the accolades you are going to get. Next week there is a pre-Turkey rerun or new one. Next week is a a rehash, Bruce Houghton. From oh, Skyline yes. Artist Agency. He's going to be next week. I will email you, Ashley, to remind you about that. After that, Vicky Starr. Then there's a basketball game. We will not have basketball, a show. Yes. And then after that, call Guthrie and then repeats until the end of January. Mm-hmm. All right? So we want to appreciate everybody who tweeted in. You guys are great. Thanks, guys. Keep subscribing. Yes, Love tweet. you so much. Yeah. And Dr. St- and Teresa Abu Daoud, we want to thank you. Teresa. Yes. Teresa. Pronounce the H. Teresa. No stumbling on anything. No. Very good. She did an excellent job. Better than us. Very good. Much.
course, much better than us. And Dr. Esteban, I want to thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you and my co-host, of course. That is I, Professor David Kirk Philbin, at the end of every show. We do not say hello. How stupid would that be, Ash? If they want to meet us and, and get our autograph, come to one... Park Avenue. New York, New York. New York, which is at 33rd Street. Yes. At 11 a.m. Friday morning. Yes, and you will see us at Bertelsmann Music Group. That's right. We'll be at BMG yes. signing, signing autographs. for a couple of minutes. Yes. No, one hour. So uh, thank you very much. And then, uh, so the end of every show, we're just thinking, you know what we say at the end of every show? We yes, say... Hey.